and welcome to the Life Vineyard Church podcast. In this episode, Mike continues the Inside Out series, focusing specifically on the challenge of inner surrender and what it means to trust God with our whole lives. Last week, Joe started us off in a new series called Inside Out, and uh, we, we, where we will be focusing on the condition of our hearts and our inner being. We learned from Joe that doing good deeds is all in vain if it isn't where if it isn't where we sorry if it isn't accompanied by a humble heart whose eyes are fixed on Jesus. We also learned that God is most interested in our hearts, which helps form us from the inside, leading us to display fruits of the Spirit and become living examples of the character of Jesus. This is an inner journey of transformation with God by our side. From the moment we become Christians and begin a relationship with him, he is patiently calling us into something deeper and more intimate than before. And that this call requires us to respond in obedience to Jesus if we are to produce healthy fruit, fulfilled lives. And in Matthew 16, 25 of the Message Translation, it says this, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade for your soul? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And it is from this backdrop and out of these words that I want to share with you how transformation comes from a journey of inner surrender. You see, we are invited by Jesus to lay it all down and give him our hearts and full attention. The start of inner transformation is inner surrender. And this is recognizing our need for Jesus and our delight in following his ways and doing all that he shows us. And it's so important that it's not just surrender expressed on the exterior, it's surrender expressed internally for us to truly find ourselves and know God's blessing in our lives. As I thought and brought this to the Lord in prayer, I felt the Holy Spirit guide me and give me a few things about this topic, which I am going to share with you now. So I'm going to pray and then make a start. Father God, I just thank you so much. Lord, I surrender to you right now. I hand over this next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and just ask you to speak through me. 
may we take away just one thing, one thing from you today. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your heavenly name. Amen. So last week, Joe touched on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is springing up in American universities right now. That started in Asbury. And it has been really exciting to read about and to follow, particularly to hear of so many young people being touched, young people being touched. Debbie Wright, leader of the Vineyard UK and Ireland, visited Asbury, and she said this in her article to Premier Christianity. What struck me most was the utter abandonment in worship. There was no holding back. The fervor in the room was not dependent on who was singing or leading. It was, I thought, more dependent on the hunger with which young people worshiped and responded to Jesus. You see, this is about young people. Young people drawn by him in response are consecrating themselves before the king. They are being renewed and transformed by Jesus. His spirit strengthening them in their faith. It's serious, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. Young people, Generation Z, who for so many years in the Western world have been described as a lost generation in the church, a generation filled with high levels of anxiety and fear, a generation that, that some say will amount to nothing, a generation described as the most entitled of the bunch. And yet, this is the generation who God chooses to show up and bless and look at their response. How wrong were we? How wrong was I? It's serious, it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. It's amazing what happens when God not only gets hold of you, but you delight in the things he wants to show you. Over the last few weeks, my thoughts have been about the statement of surrender these young people were making. And as I reflected, I began to ask questions, just as so many others have asked. Questions like, who is this impacted and why? Now, please understand my heart behind these questions and, and the statement um, that I'm about to say. They don't mean to offend anyone. Instead, I hope they illustrate um, just how differently God sees us and just how perfect his ways over ours. I mean, there are other generations who have prayed and cried out for revival for many years prior to this. There are so many superstars of faith out there who have been talking about and praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So don't they deserve the right to take on this mantle forward? And the timing of it all, God, I, I personally don't understand that. I, we just come out of a worldwide pandemic. Perhaps showing up during the pandemic would have been a better time to display your glory rather than after it. But as I asked these questions and took time to think, I was reminded of the, vine the last Vineyard Leaders Gathering, um, this time last year, 
where we specifically prayed for the under-25s and Generation Z. And as a movement and Christians around the world, we're praying for them. And so I just asked myself, why am I surprised when God comes and answers our prayers? Why would I be surprised? I also began to realize that there must have been something in those young people's hearts that God had been seeing long before the outpouring began. Something he could use at this time that meant they were supposed to lead this outpouring. I began to ask God an even deeper question. What were you stirring in their hearts to move them in such a way? And so my first point is God has been working in you and around you long before you choose to fully surrender to him. And as I dwelt on it more and more, and as I thought about the words in a surrender and what this meant to me, the story of Gideon kept on jumping out at me. So I went back and read it over and over to try and make sense. If you know the backstory to the to, to Gideon, um, the, the nation of Israel had been in the promised land for some time now. They were led by different judges um, in different parts of the land, and they went through cycles of being good and bad, uh, good and bad times, um, where Israel would cry out to God um, during the tough times. This would result in God raising up leaders of integrity and blessing Israel, bringing them back to a period of prosperity. And as they began to prosper, they would turn away from God, um, often worshipping idols in the process. By the time Gideon comes onto the scene, the nation of Israel has been through a number of these cycles, and now they were under suppression by the Midianites. And, the judges, and in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, we catch up with Gideon threshing wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. An angel of the Lord came down and sat near him, and it reads, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all, the, all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders of our, that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Now see his response. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. I just love the way he, he says so politely, pardon me, my Lord. But how can, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Do you see the exchange here Gideon is having um, with the Lord? Hiding in a wine press, he's fearful and anxious, and he's probably got every right to be. If the Midianites caught up with him, who knows what they would do. The angel of the Lord then says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
I'm choosing you, Gideon, to lead and serve and save my people from Midian. But, you can, but we can see that Gideon doesn't identify with this and gives him all sorts of reasons why he, would, he shouldn't. Again, here is a situation where God has chosen the least likely to take up the leadership mantle. And it's not a surprise that their first response is denial. I mean, someone externally looking in would have thought the same. Very similar way that I initially responded in the case of Asbury Revival. But God sees something in us before we see it in ourselves. When, God, when Joe and I walked into a vineyard um, church in London for the first time eight years ago, we were only looking for a church within the community we, we lived in. We were quite content with our lives. The main reason why we were moving churches was because we had a three-hour round trip to the, to the church that we were going to, and I think we were getting pretty tired. Well, I certainly was, <laughs> um, going to church and back. We did not think that we were going to join their leadership team. And to be honest, by that stage, I hadn't actually read the Psalms, let alone the Bible. But God was beginning to do a work calling us into a deeper surrender. And as you read in Judges, you see Gideon requesting and testing the Lord, asking for signs as proof that God is who he says he is. As if seeing an angel is not enough of a sign. In fact, so little is his faith initially, the first task he set is to destroy the altar of Baal in, 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 his, in his hometown. But he doesn't even have the courage to do that during the day. He does it at night so no one sees. Now, have you ever felt the nudge from God? Have you sensed a calling, but your resistance is to ask for a sign? I don't think it's unusual. In fact, after many nudges to move to the Northeast, in early 2020, Joe and I eventually asked for a clear and unequivocal sign that said that we should go. And God was so faithful and kind to do it within a few hours, and that made our minds up. We were coming here. How many nudges and signs do you think some of the young people of Asbury got before they stepped up and continued to worship that day? And my second point is that God's glory will be a sign of your inner surrender. After Gideon broke down the altar um, and, and people realized the hand of the Lord was on him, he had and, and he requested just a few more signs, he gathered an army to go out to the battle. He was able to raise an army of 32,000 men to take on the Midianites and the Amicalite armies. But God wanted the battle to be won through his power and not by the power of men. So God instructed Gideon to whittle it down, and Gideon managed to whittle it down to 10,000. But still, God wanted more. And so summarizing the story, God got it down to 300 measly men. 
Now, we're not told, but I can only imagine the amount of wrestling and turmoil that Gideon must have had with himself and with God to agree on going into battle with only 300 men. Imagine how the 300 men felt, the place of inner surrender that they must have arrived at. To do this must have been immense. I imagine this is what they must have said. God, I'm completely trusting you with my life. I've never heard of this being done before, but I will do it because you said only you can do this. And so I surrender it over to you. Imagine the inner, inner turmoil that was going on in the young people's lives in Asbury as they stepped up and continued and continued to worship. Imagine what they were fighting with, with their friends and the, the worry of missing classes. Well, you know, uni students maybe not missing classes, but I can only imagine. They must have been tempted of stepping out the Lord's will. And I heard one story where um, a well-known worship leader would have, would, could see one of the guitarists in the, in the band beginning to, to get tired. So he offered to take over. But the young people leading the service, um, not realizing who he was, told him that he couldn't because his heart wasn't right before the Lord. The worship leader reflected on this and realized that they were right. And later on, the young leaders caught up with him and apologized because they realized who he was. And um, he was able to tell them that they had heard from the Lord correctly. When Joe and I made the decision to move up here, we went for a number, I went for a number of job interviews in the hospitals around the region. My previous role was very busy, and I knew I didn't want to be completely focused on the job as my focus would need to be on what God wanted me to do. So I purposefully went for roles that were a lower grade than I was at the time. I remember traveling back um, on a train home uh, one evening after the interview, after an interview, and I felt confident about it. Um, I, was, I was watching a preach on YouTube. At the beginning of the preach, um, the pastor challenged me and, and everyone was watching him at the time to cup their hands, be still, and listen and ask God for one thing that I believed that he wanted to give me. So having just gone for an interview, I was hoping for his favor, and I did exactly that. I cupped my hands, I listened, and then I asked God. But the two simple words that I got back was, trust me. Trust me. It wasn't that I was going to get the next ops manager job for a dental care unit in, in the Northeast. No, it was just simply trust me. The next day, I got a call from the interview panel lead to tell me that I didn't get the job. And it was probably the most devastated I'd ever been receiving the bad news about an interview. By that stage, I told my work about our, 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 our desire to move outside the area, and 
as we were going through an organizational restructure, I thought my post was completely at risk and I, I would have blown all relational equity with them. I was really shocked and I didn't know what to do. The only thing I knew I could do was remember those words. He said to me on the train, trust him. So immediately, now this story is going to sound really bad, but I went straight up to the top of the building <laughs> I was working in and went onto the rooftop where you could see the whole of London. It was beautiful. And there I gave praise to God, knowing that he would deliver me from all of this. And this is what Gideon did. When he secretly broke into the enemy camp the night before they went into battle and heard the conversations of fear amongst the Midianite army, it says the number of soldiers was so large that they looked like a swarm of locusts. And yet Gideon knew that God had given them into his hands. And when they realized this, when he realized this, he fell to his knees and worshiped. So my question to you is, is when do you give God the praise and worship? Before or after the battle? My final point is, the, is this. The journey of inner surrender only finishes when God is finished. Although God, Joe and I were, were, Joe and I are now here and we're very much settled, thanks to most of you. <laughs> um, there's even, we, we know that this is not all God is calling us to. There is even more that he is asking us to surrender. And as we do, we will see more and more of his glory unveiled. And that is why it's so important to allow God to have the final word. I think of some of my colleagues and friends who have been further along this journey. I'm sure David and Nicola never imagined what they would be doing to transform this region through food dignity. Or Jeff and what he's doing with the FA to give football boots to some of the poorest communities in the Northeast. I can't wait to hear what happens with Men's Pies Club. And it's an amazing adventure that God has for you when you deeply surrender and lose your life to Jesus. Sadly, this wasn't the case for Gideon. <laughs> we learn in chapter 8 that although after a great victory, which only God could have won, Gideon made a golden idol, which the whole of Israel began to worship instead. This became a snare to Gideon and his family, and we read in verse 33 and 34, no sooner had Gideon died that the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal-bereth as their God and did not remember their Lord, their God, who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies on every side. So that cycle I talked about earlier had started again. And throughout the Bible, there are so many stories of successful leaders who God blesses, but, only, but often they fail they, as they were not fully surrendered to God's ways. 
This nearly always results in the nation of Israel weakening and being suppressed by an external force. But we know through the Bible that there was one person, a man who started well and finished well. He was a God, he was God's fully, fully human son who had feelings and emotions just like me, just like Gideon, just like you, just like the, peop- the young people of, his, of, of um, Asbury. But like Gideon, he had many opportunities to choose not to surrender. In fact, we read in the gospel accounts of the turmoil of fear and anxiety he had to go through as he was called to a deeper surrender. In Matthew 26, 39, it reads, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, as, not as I will, but as you will. And in Luke's account, it describes him sweating blood. Such was the stress he was going through. Now, we don't hear what God's reply was to him at the time, but I can only imagine it might have simply been, trust me. Trust me, my son. And when the guards arrested him at the Garden of Gethsemane, he had an opportunity to escape or deny he was the Christ. But he knew the surrender to his father's will needed to be deeper. He had another opportunity when he met Caiaphas, the high priest, and again Pontius Pilate, the governor. But every time, the only way he could respond was to go deeper. And as he hung on a cross, humiliated, in pain, and full of fear, then he knew he had surrendered as deep as anyone could ever have surrendered. He knew he had broken the cycle and said, it is finished, and breathed his last. Now, we know through the biblical stories, the history that follows, and, uh, the, the, and the history that follows, that although his life was finished, the anointing that came from his inner surrender resulted in billions coming to faith, which is just so exciting. Revival broke out across different areas of the known world as his disciples took the glory of God to everywhere they went. And no matter how hard the authorities tried to stop it, they just couldn't. And it carries on like this still today. Now, what's so exciting about the revival in Asbury is that we are hearing of stories that the young people who visited have now taken the anointing back with them. And the Holy Spirit is breaking out in other universities and churches across the states. This is spilling to parts of Europe and the UK, and it shows just how clearly God is never, ever finished with us. And it just makes me think, what's holding us back? What's holding us back from having a a revival right here, right now? 
What's preventing us from seeing thousands of people saved in this very church and the Holy Spirit pouring out onto the streets of Wall's End and the Northeast? And that's what I'm excited about. That's what Joe and I moved here for. We will settle for nothing less. And what is stopping us from knowing the Lord's holiness, power, and peace? And I asked, as I asked these questions, the only answer that came back to me when I stopped and listened was trust me. Trust me with your everything. Trust me with your hearts, with your lives, with your finances, with your friends, with your families, with your children. Trust me with all of you, and you will receive all of me.